I can tell you a dad joke. You know, one day, one day the lion was walking through the jungle, feeling pretty proud of himself, and you know, he came across the monkey and he roared and said, "Monkey, who's the king of the jungle?" And the monkey sort of timidly, you know, hid back in the trees. "You are lion. You are lion." Lion, pretty impressed with himself, went a bit further on and came across some zebras. Roar, zebras, who's the king of the jungle? And the zebras all went, you know, sort of bowing down through the grass. You, you are lion, you are lion, you know, heading off. And a bit further on, there's some giraffe, you know. He's going, ah, oh, the tall giraffe thinks he's really big, you know. Roar, giraffe, who's the king of the jungle? Giraffe sort of hides behind the trees a little bit. You, know, you are lion, you are lion. So he's really impressed, you know, he's intimidated all these animals. And he sees the elephant and he goes, oh, yeah, here we go. Elephant's easy one. Walks up the elephant and says, oh, roar, elephant, who's the king of the jungle? The elephant turns around, picks him up with his trunk, and slams him into the ground, picks him up again and slams him in the ground and kicks him and stomps him and everything else and walks off. And the lion's laying there sort of half dead and the elephant walks off. The lion says, if you don't know the answer, you don't have to get mad. See, no, that's the one you tell when you go, see, that's confidence, you know. Doesn't it know the lion had confidence no matter what came his way. All right, have you found Nehemiah yet? Or do you need more time? I can tell more jokes. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 2. This isn't from the Passion Translation. All right, let, let me give you some context. Um, Jerusalem and the whole Jewish community have been attacked and demolished. And what they did back then for those who had attacked them and taken them is they would, they would go in and they would take out some of the key people and actually settle them somewhere else. And when they attacked Jerusalem, they actually didn't just attack it, they actually destroyed it. They burnt the place until essentially nothing was left. They pulled the walls down and, you know, without a wall, there's no protection in the city. All right? You think of how Jericho was. Jericho wasn't the only city with a wall around it. That was how they built back then. Jericho was noticeable because its wall was huge. All right? But Jerusalem had a wall around it. And so if you came under attack, what they would do is they'd all come inside the wall and they'd close off the gates and supposedly be safe inside the wall. And the enemy would try and then hold siege against the wall, try and breach the wall to break in and then destroy it. And so they've actually gone in, they've destroyed Jerusalem so much, they burnt the whole place and they pulled pretty well the whole wall down. And there's this remnant that's been left there. If they haven't been killed or they were carried off as slaves, there was just a remnant left in Jerusalem. And eventually... The king of Persia, they sort of take over from the people who've knocked them off before and a couple of kingdoms go on and we end up with Persia being the ruling authority and they're sort of ruling over most of the region. And so they rule over Jerusalem and they start to, the king of Persia starts to let people go back home into Jerusalem and they go back and they find it just this, this desolate wasteland just about. There's not much there and they sort of start to put you know, ramshackle houses back together and so on. But, but there's still no wall, there's still no protection. And so the enemies around there, 
the other countries, even though they're still under Persian rule as well, would come and, and they would, you know, because they used to put governors over areas and so on, they would come and they would just steal from the people. When they put crops up, they'd just come and take it. And they would just come and go through that city and take what they wanted from those who were there. So it's a pretty sad, desolate sort of place. And it's the middle of this that this news gets back to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah has become a trusted advisor to the king. He's the cupbearer. All right? So he's actually so trusted that he carries, you know, he serves the king one-on-one. And and so he gets very close because your cupbearer is sort of like, you know, make sure you're not going to get poisoned, make sure that you're protected, make sure you're okay. Okay, and so the king talks to Nehemiah and he sees he's down one day because Nehemiah hears about the situation that's happened in Jerusalem, his hometown. And so the king actually releases Nehemiah to go back and to essentially be the governor of Jerusalem and he gives him the resources and so on to go back and rebuild the wall. And this is where we have Nehemiah. He's come back and he arrives in Jerusalem and... It's sort of like there's not much there. It's pretty desolate. And so he wants to know what's going on. So chapter 2, verse 11. I can do this. So I, as in Nehemiah, came to Jerusalem and was there for three days. And then I rose in the night. I had a few men with me. I told no one what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was the animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well, the refuge gate, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down, and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. In other words, the place is just rubble. You can't even get through. It's just broken down rocks and everything else. So I went up by night in the valley and I viewed the wall, then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the official didn't know where I'd gone or what I'd done. I hadn't yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, the others, what, who, did, who did the work. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which should be good, good upon me, and the king's word that he had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Tablet keeps timing out, which is really annoying. Have to reset it. I want to talk about us achieving what God has for us to achieve. All right? God has things for us to do together, and He has things for you to do personally. But I know that we get distracted. We lose our focus, we lose our heart. And as I was thinking about what I was going to share today, I was thinking about what stops us stepping into what God has for us. You know, I mean, I I had an interview for a job this week and a couple of situations, and the problem with those things is you start to realise things. And and I've spent the week um, doing some banking and training and realised rather sadly that it was 27 years ago that I was in the bank previously. Over half my life, more than half my life. And they're sitting there showing me things and teaching me things that I sort of knew 27 years ago. 
It's fun going through a week of training of things that you already know. Have you ever done that? And thankfully I had a trainer who realised this and so I was able to help others who hadn't been in there, but I was starting to feel a bit old. <laughs> no, but I was feeling it. And I was thinking, this was, that was 27 years ago I was doing this. Now, 27 years ago I was teaching other people to do this. And you can sort of get to the point of thinking, what's going on? And, and I was actually reflecting on things like vision and purpose and that it's really easy to lose focus on what God has called you to do because you look at your situation. You get up every morning and you look at yourself in the mirror you look at your situation, you probably open your phone and check your bank balance sometime in there, you look at your emails, you flick onto Facebook, and after that 10 minutes you're depressed. Anyone feel like that? Because, you know, you were in church on Sunday, or you are here on Monday night, and, and God spoke to you, and you got inspired, and you heard a sermon, and you worshipped, and you ascended into heaven, and you felt fantastic. But something happens at night. It all sort of leaks out, you know. Maybe because you lay sideways, and it leaks out your ear on your pillow or something, you know. Or maybe if you're a drooler, you know, you drool it out, whatever. See, there's a dead joke. <laughs> and, and you wake up in the morning and you don't feel the same. And when you look at your situation, it's like it doesn't look the same as it did the night before. And I've got to say, pastors, we're some of the worst for this. You know, Sunday afternoon, Mondays, hey, if you want, if you want, the, if you want that word of inspiration, the wrong time to call a church minister is usually a Monday. In fact, they used to say to us, "Don't have Mondays off; have another day off." Because Mondays are usually so flat. They said you shouldn't cop that personally. You let the church wear that. I was taught that. If you're going to be flattened down, do it on a work day. <laughs> You, know, you gave it to them on the Sunday, they can pay the price on the Monday, <laughs> is the thinking. <clears throat> but we do that. We, we, we sort of look at our stuff and, and we look at our situation. And this is the situation these guys are in. They're, they're, they're supposed to be rebuilding this wall. <clears throat> and before Nehemiah gets there, they sort of would wake up in the morning and look at the burnt marks up the wall. And then walk out the front and rather than seeing their nice garden and this nice secure wall, it's just burnt, charred remains. And it's one of those things probably where you, you move a few rocks around and, you know, it gets to lunchtime and you think, have I really made a dent in it? And they do it after a week and it's like the enthusiasm's gone because the person next to you has given up, the person on the other side's given up, and yours doesn't look much better. And that whole vision and that drive looks impossible. 
And in today's society, I think it's even harder because we're told of the, we are, we're sold the lie and the promise of everything's going to be fine. You know, I mean, I was taught growing up, not just, it was society taught me that if I got a degree and an education, that life would be wonderful. That there were miles of jobs out there if you had this qualification and you would never have to worry. No one talked about things like retrenchments and downturns and companies closing and house prices rising. You don't talk about those things. You were told if you got an education, you got a job and you were done for life. You could do whatever you want and it would all just happen magically. Anyone had it happen magically yet? And see, we get discouraged because we think, hey, it should have done, it should have happened by now, it should have occurred by now, we should be there by now. And that's what these guys are going, they're going, it's not happening, it's not there, where is it? They're discouraged. And Nehemiah walks in there and he goes and has a look around and he gets a picture. And this is the first step in achieving what God has for you to do. And what God has for us to do is know what you're up against. The first thing Nehemiah did when he got there was he talked to the people to find out where they're at and then he went out when no one else was around to try and convince him that it was going to look better. And he had a look for himself. I want you know, We've talked about the vision God has for you. You know, you sat down at the start of 2018 or the end of 2017 and you went, this is what I'm going to achieve next year. This is my vision. This is what I'm going to do. We're halfway through. Six months from today is Christmas Eve. Right, six months from today is Christmas Eve. You're going to be gearing up the turkey. That means six months ago, it was Christmas Eve. Hey, should have wore the t-shirt. All right, think about that. We're halfway through the year. How's the vision going? How was that? You know, great idea. That thing you were going to do. How's it happening? Or is it dead? It doesn't have to be dead. You just need to take stock. And this is most people go, I'm going to go and do this, but they don't take stock of where they are. You want to go forward? Know where you are. You know, the first rule of reading a map is what? Know where you are. (laughs) Before you even hold it the right way, know where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, you can't get to where you want to go. You know, you open up Google Maps, the first thing it asks you is what? Your location. Take stock of where you are. You know, when people come and they ask for financial advice, and i give a disclaimer here of general warning, they have not to consider your personal situation or circumstances. <laughs> anyway. But when people come and they ask, you know, they're saying, this is what I want to achieve, the first thing you ask them is, where are you? What are your assets and liabilities? What's your current situation? Because if you don't know where you are, you can't get where you're going. 
And you have to be honest with yourself. And the problem is that people don't want to be honest with themselves. They don't want to take stock of where they are because they're afraid of where they are. There's that, I've failed because I'm at this point. And they could have done that with Nehemiah. That's why he went out at night. Because they were trying to probably sell him. He worked out within three days that people were trying to make it look different to what it actually was. And so he didn't tell anyone. He snuck out to have a look around so he could honestly see where they were at. And I would say to you, be honest with yourself. If you're struggling with something, be honest with yourself. Face up to whatever it is that is holding you where you are. Because you can't deal with it if you don't face it. The only person you're deceiving is you. Be honest with where you are. Have we got that? All right. You know, you should be writing that down right now. Yeah, if this was me, honestly, if this was me right now, I would be sitting there and I would be writing down where I'm at. I'd be doing it. Everything. All that stuff going through your head, the best thing you can do is get out of your head. I can remember going back 27 years. Jeez. This, um, you know, we had, I had this person and we put him into the second lowest position in the bank. They had to deal with customers and they had to do, just deal with these reports because they learnt the processes through doing these reports. And I remember sitting there and going to see them after about two hours of them being in this position and they just went, I can't do this. Because there, you know, there was about six reports they had to do and then they had to answer the phone and they didn't have a lot of customers but they had the occasional customer coming down to where they were and, and they were just like, I can't, I can't do this, it's just too much. So I said, okay, just push everything to the side. All right, get yourself a pen and a paper. All right, write down everything you have to do today. And they just looked at me and said, I don't have time. I said, just do what I'm saying. I'm the boss, do what I'm saying. So they took their pen and paper and they wrote down, I've got to do these reports, I've got to do this, 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 this. And they had about 10 things they put on that list. I said, great, now put them in order of what's important. And they went through and they listed them. I said, cool, now do the first thing. And she went, but what about all I said, don't worry about it. When you've done the first one, do the next one. And I came back an hour later and they were flying through the work. Why? Because they got it out of their head. You see, when you've got all that stuff in your head, especially if you won't face up to it, it's going to stay in there and it starts to stress you. And your brain actually starts to shut down from functioning properly because it's focused on trying to deal with the stress. And your body responds and you get caught in that system. And you become ineffective and inefficient because you won't face up to where you're at. As this girl faced up to what she was at and put it into some sort of structure and got it out of her head on the paper, she didn't have to think about item number six because that was down the list. She just had to deal with item number one. So write it down and deal with item number one. And when you've dealt with that, deal with item number two. Deal with the stuff in your life. Write it down. Put it down on paper and then deal with it one by one. And if you're going, I can't do that, I'm too afraid, then you're never going to rebuild your wall. You're never going to achieve what God has for you. 
Because if you can't deal with where you are, then you can't deal with where you're going. Because we have discovered that where God takes us is higher and further. And it builds upon where we've been. And if you can't deal with where you've been and where you are, then you can't handle where you're going. So take an honest stock of your life, write it down on a piece of paper and deal with it one by one. And when you've dealt with it, move on. Don't go back there. If it rises up again, deal with it and move on. Be honest with where you're at, with God, with your life, with your health, with your finances, with your relationships. Be honest. Stop trying to sugarcoat it and make it look better than it is because you're not impressing anybody. Yeah? Are we good with that? All right, number two. Verse 18 says, So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. You know what they did? Nehemiah was pretty smart. He said to each person, okay, here's your house. There's the wall that's in front of you that's protecting your part of the house, all right? What I want you to do is build your part of the wall. I don't want you to worry about what's on the other side of the city. I don't want you to worry about what's over in that corner. I don't want you to even worry about what your neighbours are doing. I want you to build the bit of the wall that's in front of you. You know I've discovered when you do your bit and everybody else does their bit, it all works together. Now, see, so you might be going, but, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing this and doing this, and, but what about that and what about that? Forget about that and forget about that. Do what God has called you to do. Because when you build your part of the wall and someone else builds their part of the wall, it all fits together. You know, we talk about um, us having hubs. And some of you go, ah, I couldn't lead a hub. Maybe you can't. But can you sing? Can you play an instrument? Can you make food? Can you buy food? Can you turn up and put your bum on a seat? Can you pray? Because you see, starting a hub is not just me going out there and going, cool, I'm starting a hub and people just walk in the door. It's about me going, hey, you know what? I've got a great wife and we can work together and we can grab a couple of other people and we can go and have people meet in our house and we can have a meal together. And we can pray together. And maybe we can even worship together. And we can talk about what God's been doing in our lives and talk about what the Bible says. Because that's all a hub is, isn't it? It's us getting together and ascending into heaven and governing together and talking together and meeting together. And you might say, well, I've got a house, but I'm not very good at leading things and putting, organizing things, so partner up with somebody who is. You see, when we build our part of the wall, when we do the bit that we're responsible for, when we do what God is telling us to do, everybody else who he's telling to do the things they tell them to do, they can then step into what they're supposed to do and it all fits together. You know, we've got a vision to see 20,000 people in this city. And that's just the start. That know Jesus, that are in our hubs. 
Not because we want to say we've got 20,000 people, but because people are going to hell. We don't want people going to hell. There's 2 million people and they're forecasting over the next 20 years, that goes to 4 million. That's 4 million people. And if we haven't even reached the 20,000, how are we going to deal with the 2 million, let alone the 4 million? The person that you work with is going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, your next door neighbour is going to hell. And you're too busy looking at your bank balance or your emails or your Facebook or whatever it is. And God's been speaking to some of you going, you should be having a hub in your house or you should be involved in a hub during the week. And you're going, I can't do that, I can't do that. Yes, you can. You don't have to reach 20,000 people. You just need to find somebody in this room and get together and open up a home together, whether it's your home or the other person's home, and have a meal and invite a few people over. You see, hubs are only 10 to 15 people. Now, most of us work with more people than that. Most of us engage with more people than that in a week, in a day. Yeah? Don't complicate it. That's what Nehemiah did with the people. He's saying, stop complicating it and trying to build everything at once. Just get out there. And put a few bricks down today. And then when you get up tomorrow, get out there and put a few more on top of those. And as they went out every day and put a few more bricks upon a few more bricks every single day, guess what happened? Suddenly there's this wall. And eventually, I'm sure, you know, one person finished their wall, part of the wall, going great. And their neighbor's over there, and they're only halfway up because they don't work as fast. That's okay. You know, he might have had 10 people in his family, and they've got four. So those 10 people go over and they help them. And suddenly, there's a bigger part of the wall. And then there's a bigger part of the wall. And a bigger part of the wall is everybody did what they were made to do. We're going to reach 20,000 people by each of us doing what we were made to do. You were made to have people in your home. You were made to have meals with people. You know how I know that? You eat. And don't tell me you don't because I've seen every one of you. (laughs) You know, there's a box of chocolates in there. I reckon if I bring those out, there wouldn't be any left within the next hour. Am I right? Because we all eat, right? So all you do is you're eating with somebody else. Think about it. When you come on Monday night, what do we do? We eat together and then talk about Jesus. We can all do that, right? Your level of enthusiasm is underwhelming. (laughs) I'm talking about building the wall, building the wall around this city, building what we were meant to be here for. 
building our purpose that we get distracted on because we're too busy looking at Facebook, we're too busy flicking through Instagram, we're too busy reading our emails, we're too busy worrying about how much money is in our bank account, we're too busy worrying about what other people think. Too busy trying to avoid dealing with our stuff by living through somebody else. So step number one, write your stuff down and deal with it. Number two, start doing what you were made to do. I'm not asking you personally to reach 20,000 people. I'm asking you to have somebody in your home and eat a meal with them. Cool, absolutely. And do it on a regular basis. You've got to plan. You know, when they built the wall, it didn't just go out there and go, let's just chuck some bricks in the air and, oh, look, it made a wall. They had a plan. They went, okay, we've got to put a foundation down. So let's put some big blocks down there in the foundation. All right, so the next day we come out, we're going to build on that foundation. And we're going to build on that foundation. You have to be intentional to reach those around you and do what God's asking you to do. You have to be consistent. You have to be committed. It's not hard. It just takes consistency to go, you know what? This week on Tuesday, I'm inviting this person over. And then Tuesday next week, I might invite them over again or I'm going to invite somebody else over. And then the next week on Tuesdays, because Tuesday night's the night when I invite people over. You have to be consistent and intentional and keep building and building. Does that make sense? Such enthusiasm. Persistency and consistency. The greatest things that make or break. You know what? Most people who do great things only do them because they're persistent and consistent, not because they're the best at them. And I can go through history all day and list you person after person after person who were not the best in their field they were just consistent and persistent. All right? And it can change you. Yeah. That's the only difference between... You know, I have seen people who are just so amazingly talented, amazing, brilliant at what they do, and they're not even doing it. Why? Because they gave it a go once and it didn't work out. Yeah. So they went, oh, well, that mustn't be for me. Hogwash. Let me read you number three. Verse 19. But when Salem the Horonites, say, we don't like Horonites, and Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed. They heard they were going to build the wall, and they laughed. And they despised us, and they said, what is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Number three is when you make a decision to do this, you're going to hear the voices telling you you can't do it. You know what I've, I realised this week? Probably realised it before, but I really sort of articulated it in my head this week. Is that nobody has a voice inside them telling them how great they are. Everybody has the voice inside them telling them where they lack. Telling them where their failings and where their faults are where they can't do it. I realised I was having an interview on Friday and, and they were talking about all this stuff and, and they talk about, you know, if you sit in an interview and they talk about things and it's like, oh, gee, I've got a gap there. Oh, gee, I've got a gap there. 
you know, and it could be ten things, and I can hit nine out of the ten. But what's the focus in your head? The one that you don't hit, right? And isn't that life? That when you look and say, I'm going to do this, the first thing you see is what you can't do. And if it's not the first thing, it's going to be the second, third, fourth and fifth thing. Yeah? And you think, oh, and so you don't step into something because the voice in your head tells you what you can't do or what you don't know or where you haven't been. You know what? Everybody has the same voice. Everybody has that same voice inside their head. The difference between those who make it and those don't, the ones who do go, you know what? That may be a gap, but I'm going to go for it anyway. I've had an interesting stat that... um, when applying for jobs, apparently males will apply for a job where they can hit about 6 out of 10. Oh, sorry, where they hit about 4 out of 10 points. A female will want to hit about 8 out of 10 before she'll apply for a job. Right, so guys, it's between 4 and 6, I think. And for females, they want to hit at least 8 out of 10 or they won't apply for a job. And I thought about that and I thought, obviously nobody's a 10 out of 10. You know what I found? If you're a 10 out of 10, they tell you overqualified and don't give the job anyway. (laughs) Been there, done that. (laughs) But nobody has it all together. Nobody's got it perfect. Nobody knows it all. The person next to you can't do it better, doesn't know it better because you were the one that was asked to do it. And if God says you're the one appointed to do it, then you are the best person to do it. You're the best you you can be. No one else can do what you are called to do. And if you don't do it, there's actually going to be a hole in the wall. And everybody in the room, everybody in the world has that voice that says, you can't do it. You've got a gap. You've got a weakness. The difference is the people who go, you know what, that may be true, but I'm going to do it anyway, and they persist and they're consistent. You know what, this Sam Ballant dude kept coming back and kept coming back and he kept throwing accusations and kept telling them and kept trying to deceive and kept trying to stop them build the wall. And he threw everything at Nehemiah, everything at that community to try and stop them. And they could have listened to his voice and gone, because they had previously to Nehemiah, they'd listened to him and they'd let him deceive them. They'd let him sell the thing. They could have gone, I don't know how to build a wall. I'm not a, I'm not a bricklayer. I'm an accountant. I don't know anything about putting bricks one on top of the other. So I can't build the wall. I can cost it out and tell you you can't afford it. Everybody's got a reason not to build the wall. Everybody's got a reason not to have a hub in their house. Everybody's got a reason not to reach out. Because we know our own failings and we go, who am I to share Jesus when I've got this happening in my life? Who am I to tell them that God heals when I've got my own sickness I'm dealing with? Who am I to tell them that God will prosper them when I'm facing my own financial situation? You know what I discovered a long time ago? The best time to preach on healing is when I'm feeling my worst. 
And you know some of the best times I've preached on healing? Is when I have not been well. Because the situation you're in is a lie of the enemy. If you're in sickness, that's a lie. Because by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. If you have financial lack, it's a lie. Because God provides all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That he is your shepherd. He said you shall not want. Not just what you need, but you shall not want. And the best way you can deal with the lie of the enemy is to do exactly the opposite. And talk about God's goodness. Do you feel like a hypocrite? Absolutely, all the time. I've stood up and preached on healing, croaky voice. I've talked about the goodness and blessing of God, wondering how I'm going to pay a bill. Wondering where the money's going to come from. Because you see, the best time you can take on the doubt in your head is to declare God's word. The best way you can do it. The best way you can do it is to declare. Because when I'm preaching, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. And you're sitting there going, I can't run a hub, I don't have this, I don't have that. If God's asking you to run a hub or be involved in running a hub, then he'll give you all you need. You've got to step into it first. You see, Nehemiah had to go to the king and he said to the king, this is what I need. The king didn't say, hey, here it is, it's all for you, now go and take care of that place. He said, sure, go and take care of that place. The Nehemiah went, great, now I've got to ask for this. You see, you've got to step into and commit to what God's asking you to do and that's what releases the resources because that's what faith is. So if God's put a vision inside your heart, you have to commit to it. You have to start planning towards it. You have to start moving towards it. Because if you don't start moving towards it, it ain't going to happen. It's like if us, you know, we said, we're going to start a church in our home. And we didn't go, well, we've got to gather, you know, 50 people together before we can, we can do anything. I've seen people do that. And you know what? They never, ever start. You have to start meeting together. So he said, we're going to start meeting together in the house. And a couple of people turn up. And then a couple of people will turn up. And now look at us. There's about 50 people or so that say, hey, Jesus Central is their church. That leaves us 19,909. <laughs> I was going to say 995, but that's wrong. 19,950 people. More than we've got to reach to hit our first goal. And you can go, that's a lot of people. 50 seemed like a lot of people when there was me and Dale. Yeah? You see, you've got to start where you're at. You've got to use what you've got, and you've got to step into the vision he's given to you. And the choice is yours. You can either sit here six months from now and still having this same conversation and think, oh, man, we talked about that Christmas last year. We talked about that in June. I remember that, and now I'm sitting here at Christmas Eve, and there's no hub. Or I haven't stepped into what God wanted me to do. I'm no closer to it. I'm still doing the same thing I was doing last Christmas. And God warned me mid-year I should do that, but I let the fears and the thoughts in my head 
be louder than God. Everybody has fear. Everybody has that voice in their head. Don't kid yourself, everybody. I've never met anybody. And I've talked to executives of large companies, right down to people just starting out. I've worked with them all and I've worked out that everybody has that voice in the head. The ones who make it are the ones who go, yeah, I have the voice in my head. I face up to the voice in my head and I choose to ignore the voice in my head. I'm going forward. That's the only difference. And they're persistent and consistent. They're not more talented. They're not brighter. They're just persistent and consistent. And they choose to push through the voice. And when they fall down, they get back up. Because I can guarantee you, we're going to start hubs and some of them are going to fail. But they can't fail. You know that? You actually can't fail. If you step into what God has for you and you change one life, how is that a failure? And you'll do a hub on a Tuesday night and it'll be fantastic and you'll wake up on a Wednesday morning and you'll think, oh, that was terrible. There's only five people here and, oh, did we really do anything? Oh, it wasn't any good. And you'll go up and down and you'll go up and down because that's what life deals up. I'm sure it wasn't all just, hey, we're building the wall. Look, it's going up. You know, they had to get to the point where half of them were holding weapons and the other half were building the wall because of the opposition they had. They had to keep changing their strategy. They had to keep changing how they did it, but they kept the vision before them. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep the vision before you. And if you don't want to hear about us releasing hubs, you don't want to hear about 20,000 people in hubs and about us governing as a connected network across this city then you're probably in the wrong place because we're going to keep talking about it. Because today I'm asking you to believe with us to reach 20,000 people in this city and across this state. To see hubs of just 10, 15 people meeting in houses across this city. See, they're not coming in here. That's not what it's about. It's about us linking up like bits of light, linking up between all these places. Governing in your area. I'm not asking you to take the whole city. I'm just asking you to take your area. To have 10 people in your house that you can eat together. You can pray together. You can talk about God together. You can govern over your area together. Because as you do that, and the one does one next to it, and the person does next to it, and next to it, then right across this city and right across this state, we've built a wall that pushes back the enemy and takes this city for Jesus. And once we hit 20,000, it becomes easier to hit 200,000. It's easier to hit 2 million because can you imagine 20,000 people governing and praying across this city? Isn't that a force? That's the vision. It's not about the numbers. It's about changing people's lives. You know, we're asking you to believe with us that we can go on to like a rural type property so we can have a bigger place to be able to resource what we're going to do. Because we need to have the barn so we can put an office in there. So we can pull our hub leaders together and just feed into them and bless them and unite together and then go back into our hubs. I'm not asking you to pay for it. I'm just asking you to believe for it with us. If you want to pay for it, that's fine. 
But see, as we unite, there is power in unity. You know, when they built the Tower of Babel, how did God stop them? Because he said, working together, they can achieve anything. And he had to confuse them. That's a whole other sermon. So they couldn't work together. Because he says, where there is unity, God commands his blessing. I don't know about you, but I want his blessing. But it means we have to do this together. And we can do this together. You simply need to reach 10 people in your lifetime. If we all did that, 50 of us reach 10 people. What does that give us? Well done. So we've got 500 people reaching hub. We go, you know what? We need to increase now. So that 500 then reaches 10 people. How many is that? 5,000. We went from 50 to 5,000 people just because you reached out to 10 people in your lifetime. And we've got 5,000 people and they all reach out to 10 people. Takes us to 50,000. So in three steps, we read 50,000 people in their homes, eating together, praying together, governing together, taking their city. And we're going, yeah, we want a 20,000 and we're already at 50,000. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Because it's Sunday. (laughs) And we're all sitting here full of faith because you hear the word and your faith is up and you forget about everything out there. I can take that. My finances are going to sort themselves out. Yep, healings, no worries. We're there. I can share Jesus. And then Monday morning rocks around. And you wake up and you make the mistake of opening your phone. And you read your emails and you look at your bank balance and you have a look at what's happening on Facebook and it sucks your spirit. Hey? <laughs> I love the way a Docker supporter brings that up. You did realize about 10 All I can say is give us a Debbie. All right. But seriously, <laughs> that's presumption. <laughs> All right, it's it's as easy as that. Tomorrow morning is when this is key. You see, let me tell you, the worst thing you can do tomorrow morning is pick up your phone. First thing. I can even recommend to you, if if you struggle with that, go out this afternoon and buy yourself an alarm. And put your phone up in your lounge or something to charge overnight and just have your phone, an alarm next to you to wake you up. So that when you wake up, the first thing you do is not read your bank balance. Not read the emails that might have come in. And not look to Facebook and what everyone else is doing. But the first thing you do is pick up your Bible. And hang out with Jesus. And when you've had a good time with Jesus, then you can face what the world has to throw at you. Yeah? Because you've got to feed your faith. Because this is not a Sunday change. This is a Monday change and a Tuesday change and a Wednesday change and a Thursday change. 
You see, you have to make a quality decision today. I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to do my bit of the wall. I'm going to be a giver into this church. I'm going to be a prayer into this church. I'm going to believe with, you know, with everyone else here that we can step into what we need to step into, that we're going to see hubs all across the city. We're going to see 20,000 people in hubs. We're going to have a property that we can go to and meet together as leaders and encourage each other and build each other up, that we're going to just achieve everything God has for us to achieve, that we're going to take this state and we're going to take this nation. But it starts with you getting up tomorrow morning and going, I've got to go and talk to this person and invite them over to my house for dinner. And maybe I'll grab a couple of you know, people from church to come along too. And we're just going to have a night together and maybe we'll talk about Jesus. I'm going to pray for this person every single day until they come to know Jesus. And I don't care what the voices in my head say. I don't care how much they tell me that I can't do this, that I've got to fight this sickness, I've got to fight this relationship, I've got to fight this financial situation, because none of that matters. That's all Sam Ballot the liar. Because I'm going to build my part of the wall. Because I'm telling you right now, Dale and I can't do it without you. We need you. And here's a revelation, you need us. <laughs> it's together. Everybody doing our part, our bit. Because the person next to you, how they do it and what their part of the role is different to yours. You know, the guy building around the gate was different to the guy building the tower. Yeah? Everybody had to do it their way in their place. So I want to encourage you, take up the challenge. Don't be sitting here at Christmas and go, oh, yeah. But be sitting here at Christmas and going, I got one. I got two. Man, we've been meeting together in our house for six months. I've been having people over every week. And I didn't feel like it most weeks. But you know what? We've been doing this for six months. There are some weeks I didn't know how we were going to feed everybody. But we've been doing this for six months. Yeah? The choice is yours. You can either be in six months going, oh yeah, I've got to do that. Or in six months going, we did it for six months. The choice is yours. You want to say something? No? Had that look on your face. <laughs> if you keep on reading in Nehemiah, they actually, because each family took up the challenge and just built their personal wall, they actually rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. Wow. Even under attack. 52 days. 52 days. And they hadn't been able to do it for years. Why? Because everybody just did their bit. Fifty-two days, and so they ignored Sam Ballot. Let me see. You know, see what the word Sam Ballot means? The God sin has given life. The God sin 
has given life. So that voice in your head, it's a lie. You can do it. You do have everything you need and what you don't have doesn't matter. God will either teach you it or you don't need it. Or he'll send somebody to fill that gap, yeah? So my challenge is one person this week. In your house, at a cafe, whatever it is, having a meal and have a God conversation. Oh, I was at church on Sunday and someone said this. That's all I do. You're at church? Yeah. People want to know. People want to know because people want hope. They want to believe there's something bigger than them, that there's a bigger purpose than them. And we've got that. We've just been intimidated and told a lie that nobody wants to know. You know, I interview on Friday, you know, the first thing they asked me, they're having trouble with the technology because one was on Skype and one's in the room, you know. There's always trouble with technology because that's how it works, you know. And the guy in the room, you know, the first thing he asked me, because he's got my whole stuff before him and the first thing on my list is not that I'm a minister of a church. He said to me, are you still a church minister? First thing he asked me. I said, yeah. He said, so you do weddings and, and all that sort of stuff? I said, yeah. And we had a two-minute conversation about church and God. And he's a guy that has nothing to do with church. In fact, he's, he's on the social side of things, very left-wing. The first thing he wants to know is God. Because people want something bigger than themselves. They want a hope. And we've got it. It's time we shared it. Yeah? One person this week. We're going to do it. We're going to build the wall. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. <laughs> Father, we just want to thank you that you are with us. And if God's for us, then who can be against us? So we thank you, Father. It's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do have. That you've given us all we need to take the first step. And that you've taken care of the rest. Father, I pray open up our eyes to see, to walk in your boldness. Lord, even when fear rises up, to step through that fear into your goodness, that we'll see the harvest, that you'll give us favour as we share your goodness, that lives will be changed, that Lord will see 20,000 people snatched from the gates of hell in your kingdom, that we'll see, Father, And we believe for this together, a network of hubs right across this city, governing over the area, built like a wall, keeping back the enemy, taking ground and building your kingdom. Father, we believe this together and we stand for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.